why do people want a luxurious cup of coffee or a luxurious hot bath or luxurious smooth silky clothes or a luxurious leather seat in their car or whatever it, it's it's a symbol of of comfort and in a world of kill or be killed in the ego's world which is so intense that people commit suicide wars break out diseases plagues if you look throughout history yeah this is a a dark planet and and why do people want a little bit of luxury even give themselves a little taste of it even if it's a little Hershey's kiss they may consider that as a little luxury on their bed <laughs> before they go to sleep at night something sweet because it's so painful and there are bits and pieces of joy and bits and pieces of pleasure and other things but basically it's almost like a it's a it's a symbol of comfort and everybody who's gone into the course knows that that the Holy Spirit is the comforter in fact 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended and left earth in form so to speak he said before I go I will bring a comforter and that comforter is the Holy Spirit that's that intuitive guide that will wake you up from this nightmare of time and space and so if you don't want to call it if you don't like the religious terms maybe you could just call it your higher self or maybe just your intuition that everyone has an intuition that's there waiting to activate to intuitively guide you out of time and space and and Jesus says don't be afraid that you'll get hurled into eternity that's why for most people it's a process there are those like Eckhart Tolle that I've mentioned have like the park bench experience that is so radical that it actually took him many many months to integrate before he could function again as a human being but those are very rare cases so what we're looking at is is we're talking about practically what do I have to do how do I have to align to become happy to become joyful to know love divine love and that is the Holy Spirit or your intuition and I think probably like, like I've said as I've gone around the planet many 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 times and I get many many questions probably the top question that I get is how did the separation happen how could how could divine love ever turn out like this world but the one of them I think maybe the second question is how do I tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the ego in my mind how do I discern the difference and really that's a question of how do I hear my intuition how do I make contact with this higher power with this voice that's going to help get me beyond time and space it's going to take me higher and higher in consciousness until I reach a point of happy dream complete forgiveness atonement and then I wake up to my divine self and to God so the quick answer is that that the Holy Spirit your intuition has all the answers the ego is the questioning mechanism of the mind so that's why while you believe you're in time and space there's all these questions that come and roll around the mind just like a Rolodex of 
questions and basically the Holy Spirit or your intuition will guide you toward an experience that will answer all your doubting and that will be the, the pup that's needed, the escape hatch to make it back into the remembrance of God in heaven. Why is there so much resistance to the Holy Spirit? Is because there's so much terror in the mind that the mind is actually afraid of escape. It's become so accustomed to the distraction of time and space that now the distraction has become familiar and the escape has become scary. It's a flipped world. Everything's upside down and backwards and now Jesus says you think you're afraid of all these things in your world, but actually you're afraid of redemption, you're afraid of salvation, you're afraid of waking up, you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, you're afraid of God, you're afraid of me, you're afraid of divine love. He even says at one point, you know, you're afraid of this course. So now he's given us a beautiful book. It's an it's a escape hatch manual. It's almost like your user's guide, how to, how to make it back to your divine self. And then the mind is in such a state of, of anxiety, of fear, of nervousness, that it's actually quite afraid of, of the Course even. And that's why people will have some huge reactions to that book, because it's such a direct pathway to God. But the one thing that prevents you from really being in touch with your intuition, simply stated, is guilt, unconscious guilt. And so you might think of it as like layers and layers and layers of guilt, uh, frozen into place into the unconscious. If you think of it kind of like the glaciers right now with uh, what they call global warming and the temperatures, I think in Greenland uh, a couple weeks ago I saw the temperature was up to 30, 30 degrees. That's, that's way warmer than they usually have it in Greenland. It was like minus six in North Dakota and 30 degrees <laughs> in Greenland. Things are flipped, the weather patterns are all going crazy and, and when a glacier melts, it kind of just chunks and chunks, it starts to get more watery, more watery, and then chunks of it just kind of fall into the water. And you might say that that's kind of like the Holy Spirit has to loosen the guilt which is so fixed and so hardened in the mind, it's so, it's, this unconscious guilt is so thick, there's so many layers of it that you almost need little bits and pieces of warmth called miracles to soften it up a little bit and then help some of those chunks just melt away. And eventually the Holy Spirit will have you melt away the entire pool of, or frozen mess, we'll call it, of, uh, of guilt. So, now, what does that have to do with our movie we're going to watch tonight? Well, we're going to watch a movie tonight that's going to deal with the topic of private thoughts. And private thoughts, I'll tell a little bit about Jesus says in the beginning of the workbook. He says, you have no private thoughts, and yet that is all that you are aware of. So when you have thoughts just moving to your consciousness, daily thoughts that are going through, those are not real thoughts. Those are all illusory thoughts that are all ego thoughts. So that's why when we talk about waking up to heaven and tuning into the Holy Spirit and, and uh, forgiving, we're going to have to talk about 
mind discipline and mind training because the mind that's basically filled with private thoughts, or another word for that is attack thoughts, uh, because they're all thoughts that come from the ego, they're all attack thoughts, and the only way to escape the gravity of this world is lesson number 23 in the course, I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. You could also say, I can escape from the world I see by giving up private thoughts, by giving up secrets. There's even a part in the Manual for Teachers where Jesus talks about them as magic thoughts. Magic thoughts are make-believe. They're still thoughts of time and space, so we're not talking about Disney magical, like maybe in uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Twinkle Twinkle Magical. We're talking about magic, like all medicine, for example, all thoughts of the medical model about the body and nutrition and your heart rate and your cholesterol level and everything, those are all magic thoughts too. God didn't create the body and he didn't create any of those thoughts. And thoughts about economics are magical thoughts, thoughts about your friends, friendships are magical thoughts, all thoughts about physics as we've been taught, not quantum physics, but basic traditional physics, those are magic thoughts. So the mind is filled with almost like a, a swarm of bees, a giant swarm of bees, it's filled with a giant swarm of private thoughts. And you have to release those to the light to know who you truly are and to know God. You won't make it back to heaven with private thoughts because in heaven you only think thoughts with God. And you, your mind is joined with God. My mind holds only what I think with God. So those are your real thoughts. I am spirit, I am one, uh, I am the holy son of God. All those are real thoughts and all the typical thoughts that human beings are dealing with on a daily basis are private thoughts or magic thoughts. Now, some of you realize that if you watch how we practice in our community for the last, you know, for I've been practicing this for 20 or 30 years, but Exposing private thoughts is very, very helpful because ultimately you must hand these thoughts over to the Holy Spirit. And when you can talk to a trusted friend or a beloved and you can just say, my mind's going crazy, here's my thoughts, and you can just pour them out, get them off your chest, give them over and not be judged, then that is just a symbol when you do that with a therapist or a priest, or a minister, or a close trusted friend, when you do that, you feel much better because you've unburdened yourself. You've just shared your secret and your buddy laughed. Or you share all your dark thoughts and then your friend gives you a big hug and goes, come on, you're going to make it through this. You know, you, you get support. That's what it means to release the private thoughts, to be able to, to expose them and feel a sense of release. Not feeling that you have to hide them, protect them, stuff them down, repress them, suppress them. If you feel you have to hide, suppress, repress, it just means you believe that those thoughts are real and you're afraid of being rejected, abandoned, screamed at, whatever. That's why those thoughts are egoically pushed down. 
And on a larger scale, this is what's going on with this belief in separation. The belief in separation from God is just a private thought. You might say, if you talk about original sin, remember in Catholicism, original sin, the belief that you could separate from your Creator would be the original sin, or the, the first private thought. And then all these swarms have come after that, but none of them are true, including the first one. So, if you look at those early course workbook lessons, um, if you make it up to 13, <laughs> lesson number 13, some of you might remember number 13 is a meaningless world engenders fear. Just think about that for a minute, because all of us have had those moments where we look at the world and we just scratch our head and we go, this is meaningless. This, you know, we, we may feel a sense of complete meaninglessness in our life. We may feel that the world is completely meaningless. We may even have a moment of feeling it's meaningless. But when we feel fear associated with that idea of meaninglessness, there's something going on in our mind. If we could see the world as meaningless and have a belly laugh, that would be pretty good. We would be pretty close to heaven. But when we are meditating or we have this moment of meaninglessness and we feel like something's wrong with us, like the world should have meaning, what are my close friends, my spouse, my children, what is my boss going to think? If I told my boss that the, that the world was meaningless, what would my boss tell me? You're fired! You know, I don't need employees who think the world is meaningless. I need employees that can follow goals and, and follow strategies and so on and so forth. But if you go and you read on in that lesson, A Meaningless World Engenders Fear, that's the first lesson where Jesus comes in with a direct cause-effect relationship that's in the proper order. Because when your mind's asleep and you forget that you're dreaming, it seems like the guilt is, you're unaware of it, and you have all these things that happen to you in time and space that seem to upset you. But actually, every time you're upset, you're upset because of guilt in the mind. Without question. There's never an external source for upset. It's always in the mind. It's just a trick to think that there's hundreds, thousands, even millions of factors outside that force you to be upset. Including other people. You make me mad. You hurt my feelings. I was having a great day until you looked at me that way. I was cruising along, I was having, or getting somebody cutting you off on the highway. You're having a great day and then somebody just swerves across three lanes as if they own the highway and all of a sudden, rah, rage comes up to interrupt your happy day. No, it wasn't because of the swerving car coming and cutting you off on the highway, it was because of the unconscious guilt. Another little chip of the iceberg is coming up. A meaningless world engenders fear. Here it comes. Here's the, here's the main idea. At the bottom of lesson 13, a meaningless world engenders fear because, he puts in italics, I think I'm in competition with God. Okay. Now that's a direct cause-effect relationship. He's saying, whenever you feel the world is meaningless and you're upset, 
whenever you feel upset about anything in the world, it's because you believe you're in competition with God. And he says, you may not believe this, you may find this like preposterous, you may even dismiss it. He's, he's given us a first direct cause and effect relationship. That, that whenever I'm upset, it's because I believe I'm in competition with God. Consciously, you know, from, if you interviewed a thousand, if you interviewed a million people on planet Earth, you know, the chances are you're not going to get, oh, I'm upset today, I'm having a bad day because I believe I'm in competition with God. It's just not going to happen on, on 60 Minutes, on, on the news, on any interview you see. I've never heard it once. I've never heard of one human being say, Oh, man, I'm having a rough day because I believe I'm in competition with God. Because no one on earth really has made that cause and effect connection. Jesus is doing it for us there in, in lesson number 13 already. Out of 365, he's already giving us a direct cause and effect connection. But remember, that belief that I'm in competition with God just means the authority problem, that I can make a self that's different than the self that God created. God created me as eternal spirit. I believe I'm flesh, a personality self, a tiny little human being. Big gap between eternal self and tiny little human being. And to believe I can make a self that's different from the one God created is to believe that I could be in competition with God. Because I know a lot of you were looking at me like, I don't know if I really believe that. It's in there, but it's it's there because the belief in separation from God, we'll call it the first private thought. So when we have these expression sessions where we encourage everybody to be in touch with their feelings, share your thoughts, we're always doing it not out of a sense that, that you're then exposed and you can be ridiculed, you can be attacked, you can be, you know, all kinds of things can happen to you. No, we're, we're breaking that ego defense and saying you need to expose all your judgments and all your private thoughts to the Holy Spirit because then you'll be free of them. As you give them over to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit shines them away. As you hide them and protect them and push them down into the unconscious, you keep them and you keep the guilt. And there's no escaping karma, there's no escaping planet Earth, there's no escaping the human condition while you keep unconscious guilt. You have to release the unconscious guilt. So, when we encourage you to be transparent, we encourage you to say what you're feeling, say what you're thinking, expose it, expose those secrets, expose those hidden dark thoughts. What we're doing is we're saying, you are loved, these thoughts cannot really hurt you, but you can't know that until you expose them and release them. If you still believe in them, you will keep the guilt. And then there's nothing that can save you until you're willing and ready to expose and release them. So we've had for years in our communities these expression sessions where people just share what's on their mind, share what's on their heart, and, and we hold the space, the presence of love, so that these thoughts can be exposed and, and released. And this video, this experience tonight, is going to take us from 2018, it's going to take us 
decades into the future on Earth, and now we're going to have, we, you know how the ego has so many different categories of people, cultures, races, all the typical divisions. Now the planet has evolved to the point, the society has evolved to the point where there is a group of people that are actually telepathic. They can read people's minds. And some of you know that's the direction this is moving. The more you release judgments, the more you get in touch with your natural psychic abilities, like Jesus did. He could read people's minds because he knew all minds were joined. And there's a lot of famous passages in the Bible where he simply reads the minds of whoever is around him. And people are usually shocked because of the sense of privacy, the private body, private mind, and private thoughts. In this society, we're going to see there are a group of people that can read people's minds, and they're called Teeps. That's their nickname, Teeps. And then there's the regulars, the normals, and they can feel when their minds are being read. So they're, they're getting there too. They're just not like walking around, duh, how did you know my thoughts? No, they actually, they can feel when their thoughts are being read and they don't like it. They don't like it. It's an invasion of privacy. In this day and age, you know, people like privacy. When you go to the restroom, the bathroom, the banyo, most people like a little privacy for that moment. Or in certain kind of situations, people like that. But imagine if there was a group of people that were telepathic, and you're just walking along one day and all of a sudden you feel this thing going on, like, like your mind is being read. They, they don't like that. And, and then the teeps, they really show us that telepathy doesn't get you back to the Kingdom of Heaven as long as you believe there's people outside of you that hate you <laughs> and you haven't forgiven, then even, tele, even telepathic Psychic abilities won't bring you peace of mind. As long as you still believe in private minds and private thoughts, then you're humans with a psychic ability, but you still have unconscious guilt because of the belief that you're human, even with psychic abilities. So this, I think this is a great episode to start to begin to see that private thoughts are really what the war is all about. That the war is a, is a belief in separation from God. The war is, is in the ego. The ego itself is the war. And the only way out of the war, Jesus tells us, the war against yourself is almost over. The only way out of this internal war of belief in separation from God is forgiveness. And we need to trust. That's why in our partnerships, in our friendships, in our community, in our society, we need to develop a trust to allow people to expose and release their private thoughts without interpreting and judging against them based on the thoughts. That's why it's not more common in families and in society and in partnerships and so forth because the ego is so entrenched in there that if somebody starts sharing their thoughts, there's a huge temptation to take those thoughts 
as real and to interpret them as an attack or take them as being an offense. Somebody starts sharing thoughts and then the ego jumps in and tries to interpret the thoughts. You don't like me. I knew you thought those things about me. You should be ashamed of yourself thinking those things about me. You know, you see, the ego is going to jump on this idea of exposing private thoughts because the ego is very uncertain about everything and it's always afraid of attack. It believes in attack and it considers these private thoughts as attack thoughts. And so it's very, very skittish. It's very much on the edge. That's why most people would rather clam up and stuff it down and hide it and keep secrets than rather than expose it because they're so afraid of being rejected, abandoned. No one will, if people knew the thoughts in my mind, they would never want to be around me. It's a good thing they can't read thoughts because they would never want to be near me. I'd have zero friends if people could read thoughts when actually we need to go the other direction and start to developing and trusting each other to expose these thoughts and see that they aren't really who we are and that we actually can come to higher states of awareness by expose and release. So, do we need any more? Jason, you want to set up the, the movie a little bit? Because we have a couple main characters in here. We have our, our police... Police normal. Police normal. And our, our team who's actually... It's a society that for the first time ever they've passed a law that they're going to allow a team to be in the police judicial system or whatever they call it. To work, with the to work with the agents. And so there's all this uproar against that. But what's beautiful is that this whole movie is a holy relationship movie. It's really about the two of them. And everything David was saying was really for them to come to that at the end, that no matter what's spoken or what's said, either one of them can free the mind or make it real. And that's the choice. And what I love about this movie is it begins with this very calm scene where she, it's almost like it foreshadows this relationship of where the police detective, when he's a child with his father, and the father, you'll find out soon, is very open-hearted and wears everything on his sleeve. So, so the son, she sees them together and just feels this peace. And whenever she's around those that are kind of pure at heart, she feels safe. Imagine if you could read everybody's thoughts and you came up against Jesus clean and was just well maybe that would be scary if you mirrors back your own your own but at least you wouldn't have any there'd be no interference you know and actually that's another thing about this about awakening and this movie which i love is that even i see with jesus and the woman at the well because you were telling that story where you know the woman at the well he could read her thoughts and he knew how many relationships she'd had i see it the very fact that jesus can speak that or be aware of it is that the mind must be willing to expose it because you know you can go out on the street and like at least my experience it's not like I'm I'm reading all the thoughts but when I join with somebody very deeply you might hear things as part of a collaboration for things to be raised up and healed but it's all because the mind wants it anyways so it's not really a problem or a secret <laughs> So in this movie, they're kind of going through that journey together. And the backdrop is, you'll find out very quickly too, but 
I could explain it. There's, it's called the Hoodmaker because there's this guy. You could you call him the ego character. He's he's basically just a symbol of being terribly afraid of exposure. So he makes these hoods that have a special metal alloy in them that blocks the oh, teeps. Yeah. Blocks the teeps. Yeah. So it's, that's the defense. It's like the, a protectionism, valuing privacy and then coming up with a special hood. This fabric is made out of a, a thing that blocks. Kind of like, you know, in the Superman series, it was kryptonite that would make Superman weak. Well, this is the, the thing that blocks the, the reading of the mind. So it's, there's fear of feeling your mind's being read. You put the hood on, ah, I'm safe. I'm safe in my private thoughts, holding my secrets again. Really, it's all backwards because the fear is still there. But um, this is a love story. You know, it's amazing to me that we can come and keep presenting love stories. Relationship love stories, telepathic love stories. We keep coming in there with good old-fashioned love stories. And, and that shows you that there's a spark. It's the Holy Spirit using the relationship very clearly to take them into a sense of, of deeper love, of of more feeling of, of connection and of a sense too that that they don't really want to stay in the society. They would rather kind of like feel this love and connection and just kind of go off and bask in it. I mean, if you really look throughout history, you know, you really have to dig around to find good telepathic love stories. It's usually a lot of passion and kissing and hugging and sex, but you've got to really dig to find those telepathic love stories. I think one of the, the first telepathic love stories, it's just not been presented that way, but I know it was there, was Jesus and Mary Magdalene. They were tuned in. Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus after he resurrected, because I, I always say she was the first that was ready to see Jesus. He had said the same thing to her and the apostles, but she was ready to see him. Because why? Because they had a just a telepathic love romance. It wasn't so much romance, but it was, it was a telepathic like, I get you. And Jesus is like, wow, on this planet, you get me? <laughs> That's... They had a, an adoration and a love, but it wasn't based on the body, it was based on reality. It was based on a state of mind. And I know that the Catholic Church in the 500 AD range, you know, said that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She wasn't. And I know that they've tried to make up stories, you know, some of you, anybody ever see the, the musical Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. They had her singing that sappy song. I don't know how to love him. What to do? No, that was a bad... She didn't know how to love him. And it was telepathically. We, could have, we have to redo Jesus Christ Superstar to make it more accurate. But this is a telepathic love story we're going to watch tonight. And, and yet, why is it so helpful to all of us? It's because... We know in relationships we can feel so connected to someone, so in love with someone, and then when those attack thoughts, those private thoughts come up, those doubt thoughts, 
we can have this deep love relationship going and all of a sudden these doubt thoughts start coming up and that is not good. You know, we need to release those and, and we'll find in this uh, episode tonight, they need to release any doubt thoughts that they have of each other. They want to get into that joy, that laughter, the humor, the lightness of the holy relationship. That's what makes a telepathic relationship what it is, is the lightness. And there is a lightness here. We'll, you'll notice there's like a, a lightness in their chemistry that's very important. You can, you can see it start to develop and yet it's going to be the trust to not hold on to private thoughts, to not hold on to secrets, that is going to be the make or break thing for their relationship. And I would say it's the same with all of us. That's why it's so important for us is because we have to come to that same trust with our mighty companions, with those that we are living with and, and interacting with. We have to come to such a full faith and trust that we don't buy the doubt thoughts, we don't buy the attack thoughts, we don't buy the magic thoughts, whatever they are. And that will carry us through. So it's very exciting. Again, I have to say, hold on to your hats. This Kansas is going bye-bye. Another great session. Some of you have heard of Philip K. Dick. Uh, this is from his Electric Dreams series. With a little bit of Holy Spirit editing. <laughs> Which we have been known to do time to time. Jason's, he's got his hands. <laughs> he's, he's helped us out with some right. <laughs> Even the tiniest little kernel, sometimes is necessary, so. Okay, so you saw them at the beginning. The, the relationship starts right there where she's the teep, she's reading, she's supposed to be feeding him helpful information about a riot that's happening. And, and so basically it's using the psychic ability of mind reading for protectionism. It's still for protecting society, for trying to break up a riot, for trying to keep the peace in society. You see, even though this is like around 20, 2050 uh, in the future, it's still, we're still dealing with the same kind of issues and the struggles and wars, but there's a telepathic group. And so it's helpful to jump to the Course in Miracles where Jesus has a, a question posed to him in the Manual for Teachers, are psychic powers desirable? First of all, he lets us know that, that we, as we start to forgive, as we start to release the judgments in our mind, we will seem to develop psychic abilities. And he says these are natural. You're just developing what's very natural to you, but you've blocked it out of awareness by your own judgment and your own guilt. You know, you could, precognition, telepathy, psychokinesis, you know, we have a whole field called parapsychology that studies all these psychic abilities, but basically these abilities are blocked out of awareness by the guilt. And that's why we need the, the guidance and the intuition of the Holy Spirit to help us raise our awareness higher and higher. In this case, you know, he's, this is like a, your basic good cop who's humorous and he's, he's 
you know, he's like a combination of Rambo, and he's got, he's got your, uh, what's his, Tom Cruise, you know, he's got all the, he's, he's handsome, he's charismatic, he's funny, he's, he's basically has a big heart, and he, he wants to do what's good for, for everybody, he wants to keep the peace, and we saw at the very beginning, he also went fishing with his dad, and he, she was there picking up how, how calm and serene him and his dad were fishing together, just merging there with the water, merging with the fish. A lot of people go fishing just to meditate, because they can get away from their jobs and the society. So it's giving us a whole context there, where he's just caught this, this guy with this hood on, but um, just like Jason said, that first scene was so serene, because that's what all of us want. We just want the peace and quiet. And then this is what we've got to go through, is, is doing the best that we can, being intuitive and following our guidance, and connecting in with each other and with the Spirit as best we can, so we can make it through the day, and clear away a little more guilt, a little more darkness, every single day. I would just like to point out at this point there, notice how she was looking at him and he was just silent. She couldn't, or didn't read through the window to what, if anything, was being said. So I just want to point that out. It, it's important for later. So. Yeah, she, she actually, to come on this new assignment, so they just passed a law that allows agents to use TEEPs, officers to use TEEPs, um, to read civilian thoughts, the regulars are called civilians here, and it, again, it's all for laws passed to protect, to protect the society, to keep the peace, to keep the order. But she's coming in and reporting, in, into this assignment, possibility of of working with an officer, with a police officer. But she's had to take an oath that she will not read an agent's mind. So they've, you know, they're trying to build protections into this. You know, you come and assist the agent, but you don't read the agent's mind. So you could tell when she was walking through that office, she was picking up all kinds of things. I remember back in the 1980s, like when I was reading the course for like eight hours a day, and then I, <clears throat> I went off to Roscoe, New York, where Ken and Gloria have their had their foundation for A Course in Miracles before they moved out to Temecula. And I remember I would get so mystical in my work with the Course that I would have these telepathic days where it felt like my mind wasn't David's personal mind anymore. It felt like my mind was like one of those big satellite dishes that they have down in Arizona, you know, that could pick up the, the faintest little signals from far off in, in space, my mind felt like a giant dish. And then I felt a bit like when she was just walking through that office, she was picking up all kinds of things, all kinds of thoughts and sounds. You could see even the people, they were, they were very suspicious of a teep. So this isn't a police office and they're kind of, you know, don't look at me, don't, you know, almost they don't want their minds read. There's a lot of fear underneath there. And so she's picking up all these different things, but she has at this point taken an oath to, 
to not read the agent's mind. And then he's in there having this discussion, you know, he's a, a little bit suspect at the beginning here because he, he, she said, oh, there's the guinea pig and, and his supervisor called her an it. He said, she, it's a she. Point well taken, you know, it's this, this, there's, there's tensions underneath there, but there's always a suspicion around this mind reading thing. And you can just imagine in your own life, if you had neighbors that could read your mind, or if you had people living in your house that could read your mind, you know, it would, it would definitely influence your practice of the course. <laughs> may speed things up a little bit, actually. Uh, if, because Jesus says, you may believe you're responsible for what you do, but not for what you think. Actually, he says, in truth, you are responsible for what you think. So he's, he's, it is with your thoughts that we must work. He's working with us to clear away these private thoughts. He's not so big on behaviors because Jesus knows what you do comes from what you think. So this entire course is not a course in behavior modification. It's not a course in, you, you know, you never see Jesus say, okay, we're going to work on losing some weight. Uh, you know, in the middle of the course, he's just like, what? <laughs> hey, you know, it's, you, you just don't get to that point because he's not really interested in the behaviors. You may have been in, in a past life a serial killer. It doesn't matter to Jesus. He's still going to work with you in forgiveness, see your innocence and your love. It doesn't matter what you seem to do behaviorally, whether you were a goody two-shoes or whether you were this, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer or kind of uh, Osama, Osama bin Laden. Who? <laughs> she said, you know, it doesn't really matter what your reputation is because he just wants you to purify your heart and clear your mind and wake up to heaven and know yourself as a perfect, innocent child of God. He's not big on behaviors. He's not trying to correct behaviors. He's trying to purify the heart. He's trying to empty the mind, like Buddha said, empty your mind of all you think you think. He's, it's the same method there, through forgiveness, empty the mind. So this is their relationship starting out. They've kind of been paired up for to help each other. She's to help him with her telepathic abilities, and he's trying to help society in general uh, as, as a police officer. And uh, that's, Jason, as Jason's saying, there's, there's an important scene, and we'll come back towards the end, where referring back to this particular scenario, where um, He's behind glass over there, and he um, he's he's got some thoughts going on there, and that will play big later on in this movie. I just bring this up because you can see why these thoughts are repressed. There's shame around these thoughts. That's you know you would assume that there must be a reason why there's an unconscious mind. Maybe the belief in separation from God or from Source was so horrifying that the mind had to come up with a defense mechanism to keep it out of awareness because the guilt was too intense. Maybe she's not only reading some of his thoughts about his, his pride and his anger and so forth, but now she's going right into his childhood memories and she's just 
reading him like he's an open book. And you can see him turning his head, and you can see his face. He's very, very uncomfortable with this, because why? Why would any human being be uncomfortable with having somebody like a teep read your mind? It's since that there's a belief in shame. There's, there's such guilt associated with his memories. Like, she's reading these thoughts and, and the way he was treated, the way he was pushed around as a little boy inside the house, his sexual thoughts towards his mother, all these things, he probably hasn't exposed these thoughts to anyone, not to a counselor, not to a, a brother, a sister. These have been buried and hidden very deeply. And, but this is giving us a good glimpse at the dynamic of why it's so important to let them come up. Because the only reason they're pushed down is because they're believed to be guilty and, and shameful. And the only way we can get in touch with our innocence, our divine innocence, is we have to take the covers off. All the covers of guilt that we got, that we just believe in. Not that it's real. Not that separation from God is real. Not that these private thoughts are real. Not that these secrets are real. I mean, I've actually done retreats and workshops around the world where I will do a whole like a series of days or a period of days only working towards the end of the retreat where I, I remember in Australia one time I said, um, okay, I'm available to do one-on-ones. Uh, and they put a sign-up sheet to do one-on-ones with me and like 40 people signed up. And I had to do like seven-minute <laughs> one-on-ones for the time I had laid aside. You know what these people did, though, in those seven minutes? They poured out, face to face with me, their deepest, darkest secrets. The secrets they had never told another human being. The secrets they, they would preface by saying, I've never told anybody this, not even my parents. Things like uh, having, trying to have sex with an animal, or all kinds of stuff. Because they would come together and they knew they only had like seven minutes with me, so they would just kind of stare at me in, the, in my eyes and they'd give me this quizzical look like, if I say this to you, <laughs> are you going to still love me or will you judge me? And my sparkly eyes coming back to their eyes, no, I will love you no matter what you tell me, it doesn't matter what you tell me, I will love you. And then they would launch for the remaining six and a half minutes <laughs> with, oh, and, and they would tell me their darkest secrets and then I would give them a big smile and a big hug and occasionally if it was really intense I would just kind of, let's take a walk, maybe later on. Because one uh, woman brought her son, she said he has been so shameful and so guilty and I don't even know what's going on in his mind, but all I know is he is closed up and he, he doesn't have any relationships and, and he, has, he hasn't dated and he's got something going on in his mind. And I, I brought him along to this retreat so that he could take a walk with you in the woods. <laughs> I said, that's what the Spirit was telling me, just get him for a walk in the woods with David. And then sure enough, he did trust me enough, we just took a walk in the woods where he exposed 
all of his dark secrets and everything that it was really perplexing him and he felt such guilt and shame with, he just exposed it all. We had a, I had a big hug with him and what's fun is um, like six months later, a year later, his mother would write to me, oh, he's dating for the first time and oh, he's in a relationship, he's in a regular relationship with a woman and he's going, and it's going so well and She's just like writing me, giving me little updates. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know what happened in the woods there, but I knew I had to do that. That's, that's just an extreme example of how we need to expose. In this case, this, is being, this psychic ability is being used uh, because he, the agent, the police officer, asked him a question, what's this for? He didn't answer. He just said, put it on yourself and find out. So he goes to get the teep, and now it's almost like a mental interrogation. And the Holy Spirit never does this. The Holy Spirit is never invasive. The Holy Spirit will never command. The Holy Spirit will never demand. The Holy Spirit is not on some kind of search and destroy mission. The Holy Spirit is this soft presence of love that when you willingly are, will let things over to the Holy Spirit, raise them up, bring them to the light, they will disappear. But it's just this soft presence of love and light. That's all it is. It's not invasive at all. It's just that the ego perceives many things in this world as invasive because it's so racked with guilt. It just is so much believing the reality of those thoughts that it's, it hides them. And then it doesn't realize that, the mind doesn't realize that by hiding these thoughts, it, it just is holding on to the guilt. It's just, there's not going to be a release. So, their relationship is starting, their partnership is starting, but, but this is extremely intense, and I think it's going to go a little bit further, where she's, it's like her first task is to read this guy's mind, and it's actually uh, quite aggressive. Uh, this is not the kind of way the Holy Spirit would have you use telepathic ability. It, it almost is turning into a, a battle here where he's wanting to protect these thoughts and she's going fishing in deeper and deeper into his mind and and again it's not the psychic ability that's good or bad, it's how, who's using it. If it's very aggressive, um, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the ego. The Holy Spirit is very gentle, very kind, and, and it's just the presence of love, petitioning the mind. Let's, why don't you let that up? Why don't you give that thought over to me? And this is an example here of uh, the ego kind of grabbing hold of a psychic ability and for whatever re motive, using it in that way. So obviously, you know, she was able, it's almost like what would be perceived as a terrorist cell, the ones plotting, behind the riots and, and the firebombs and so on and so forth. And she's tuned right in, doing her job. The names of them, of the organization, nicotine, that they're smoking a lot, stains of nicotine on, on the wall and everything. And here they go, they're going right in. And so this is why the law was passed. This was for the public good. But you can see that, that um, it's still trying to use the psychic ability to bring about a desired effect. In, in, in one sense you could say, well, this is, this is to protect 
the public good. There have been um, people over the years that have said to me um, um, that A Course in Miracles, it's all mind control. And there's even some reports that uh, Bill Thetford worked with the CIA, for the CIA as part of this uh, ultra, what was it called, uh, program, top secret mind training control. Actually, Bill Thetford, before he got involved with the course, he was an eminent psychologist and he and Helen were working on a, a um, intelligence um, test. You know, some of you have heard of Waste and, and Sanford Bernay and the different ones. A very amazing kind of personality test and it was his life's work before he got into the course and this test was actually used um, because it had a high probability of predicting terrorist behavior in an individual. It was that good. And yet, he gave his life over to working on this Course in Miracles, which is actually forgiving all these thoughts, not trying to find terrorists or trying to change the world or make the world a different place, but to actually to be used to find inner peace through forgiveness which I would say, A Course in Miracles, that was really his great work, not this psychological test that he developed. But any time that psychic abilities are being used for an outcome in the world to protect something, there's going to be fear associated with that, because remember the teachings of Jesus, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. Turn the other cheek. If someone asks for your coat, offer your cloak as well. He was so much into defenselessness, even in the Course, in my defenselessness my safety lies. So he's not, Jesus is not going to use the psychic abilities for anything except if it helps forgiveness, if it helps expose and release the skilled. So it's nice to know that, that we don't have to be afraid of anything, we don't even have to be afraid of psychic abilities, we just have to be honest with ourselves of what is it for. What is the purpose? We have to have that sense of integrity. We have to have that sense of honesty, self-honesty, because there's nothing in this world that really should ever scare us. It's just a letting the ego use something in our minds for its purposes. That is what we have to be vigilant against. We have to really pay attention to that. So they're going in there right now um, to find this um, group of people and also to maybe to zoom in on some hoods, because they've, they've discovered this defensive maneuver of putting hoods over there, and this group is wanting to put the hoods on and go out and do some damage wearing the hoods, and so they're, they're kind of getting in there to find that. Okay, so you see the shock on her face. Uh, she's accustomed as a teep to being able to read people, and she can't read him. It's like a, it's a horrific kind of feeling. It's like a blocked feeling. Her ability that's been so natural for her is somehow blocked, and then, then her partner comes down, you know, read him, read him. She, he wants to know what, what this guy's going to do, what his thoughts are, and she can't. She's just kind of, they're feeling helpless. So, they're going to be in a lot of these kind of situations where. They're, they're needing to work together, but it's also exposing their fears and their weaknesses. Anything that kind of gets past what their natural abilities that they're accustomed to. And you could just see the shock on her face. 
Uh, and again, I think that shock is just coming from from the ego's use of the ability. Because when we give the ability over to the Holy Spirit, it would only be used the way Jesus used it. You know, remember when he was with the, the prostitute that took the oil out and started um, washing his feet, and he could read her thoughts and read how pure she was and how pure her love and devotion was. And then the, some of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees that were around, they were judging that she was washing Jesus' feet and they're thinking, now we know he's fake because no man of God would associate with a prostitute. But he reads their minds in that scene in the Bible, you know, and he points out their thoughts. They're pretty shocked. He's actually reading, she's washing his feet with a pure heart and pure thoughts, and they're judging the prostitute. They're judging the form, and he's reading their thoughts and saying, you know, and he would do that later on too. Remember the scene with the woman, with the, they were ready to stone this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they have the rocks ready, they're ready to stone her. And Jesus shows up and says, let he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Because he's reading their thoughts. He's reading their anger, and he's reading their judgments. And, and let he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, the only one there who was without sin was Jesus, and he was going to be casting no stones. So they were trying to trap him, you know, like using the old laws of Moses, and he basically came up with the Holy Spirit, that he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all drop their stones and walk away, and then she says to him, and Lord, what do you have to say of me? And he says, I condemn you not. Go your way and sin no more. Go your way and stay in the light. Stay in the truth of who you are. You see, now that's how the Holy Spirit uses the psychic ability. You see, it's only to bless, only to heal and bless. But when the ego gets a hold of even psychic abilities, it will use them, in this case she was shocked, or the man that she was reading earlier, when he was tied down to that chair, you know, that was, it became very invasive and everything. Anytime you're using a psychic ability for the ego's purpose, then there's going to, you will get mixed messages. You will get fear that will come up. And that's part of their lessons. Okay, speaking of misuse of psychic abilities, you know, you, we know there's all kinds of twisted sexual acts and twisted ways that that the ego uses the body. This is probably the first time I've ever seen it. It's like a, it's a twisted telepathic use where this guy has, has got a teep and he's getting pleasure out of her reading his fantasies. And so, and you could hear her voice cracking because it's, why would it crack? It's the same kind of thing, it's the same kind of shame and guilt that's associated with these thoughts. The thoughts are believed to be real. She's, he's sitting there smoking and just laying there and seemingly deriving pleasure of having a teep read his fantasies. 
and maybe it's some type of deep prostitution going on. No sexuality, but it's like it's at the thought level. Imagine this guy paying her, because the teeps still have to eat, they still have to survive and everything, they're still human, and they still have needs, and so paying her to read his thoughts so he can get pleasure of hearing somebody else voice his fantasies. Probably never have seen a scene like this, but, but this is again, it fits on what I was just talking about, about the ego's purpose for using a psychic ability. We're getting a, a whole lot of different things here. And again, Jesus is our, our model for, no, you, you can't use it in those ways. Because the psychic abilities are just neutral. They don't mean anything in and of themselves. It's the purpose for which they're used that you have to be very, very honest with yourself about. And that's why he spends his whole Course in Miracles helping us get clear of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of the world to release the mind, to take it back into innocence, instead of to keep it trapped in this guilt. So this is where a lot of teeps live, and they're all going through, they're telepathic, they're going through a shared nightmare. So Mary goes, gets paid by this guy, goes through all of this crazy fantasies that are horrific for her, and then she comes home to sleep with her fellow teeps because again, the teeps feel very much afraid. They're, they're seen as outcasts. They're seen as, as traitors. They're seen as people that, that and, you know, are invasive, that read other people's minds. You know, they're kind of the castaways of society. And here they are all living there, but this is like a symbol of a shared nightmare. And it's, this is helpful just in the sense that it's starting to be showing us that it's all one mind. That, that, that it doesn't help you to be telepathic. As long as you still believe in the ego, you can have telepathic nightmares. They're all having these nightmares. Mary's come back and now they're all going through the pain of these thoughts together. Now the truth of it is, Jesus would tell us, is that all of this is part of an illusion that only the thoughts of God can be shared. And whenever you believe in the ego, you believe you can share something that's not of God. You can share evil, you can share darkness. What are some, ex some examples of this in terms that you might be able to relate to? Gossip. You know how people start gossiping around a certain person and then it starts to spread and spread and spread. That's the sharing of illusions. And, and it hurts. Gossip always hurts at some point because it's not real. It's not a good use of communication. It's not really communication at all because it's not sharing anything real and true. There's, you're offering no blessing when there's a gossip being shared. So that fits in with what I've talked about in terms of sickness. The reason that sickness is impossible is because it's, God didn't create sickness and sickness can't be shared. That's why you're being called to be the Messiah, literally the Savior of the world with your mind, by just purifying your mind with the Holy Spirit and thinking only what you think with God, and therefore just extending the thoughts of God, the thoughts of love, not these egoic thoughts. All it does is it, it puts you in like a private hell where you perceive a world that seems to be outside 
of the body, but actually it's, it's just a, a hellish world of the attempt to share private thoughts. And the, the glory is that you can't, they cannot be shared. That's what the whole Course in Miracles is, is pointing to. Every lesson is just pointed to that one lesson that only the thoughts of God can be shared. But this is an extreme example of, of what seems to be the ego's law, that, uh, that nightmares can be shared. I like this guy. He gets upset about his hat. He's back with the hat on. He key his car. Hey, hey, hey! Just a car, eh? You see the lightheartedness. This is this is the kind of examples. This is the way we need to live our lives every day. Overlooking errors. See how quick he was. It took him a few seconds to let that little flare of anger go, and then he's and then he's teaching the truth. Only a car, eh? You see how he he gets so detached there. But that's what we have every single day with our relationships: is opportunities to overlook error to not hold anybody, hold guilt, or hold anything against anybody that we meet, or even that we think of. The Course is so great with that, that when you meet anyone, remember, it's a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, you will think of yourself. Never forget this, for in him you will find yourself or lose yourself. It's the thought level. That's what we're really zooming into, purification of thoughts. And some of you too may wonder, well, you know, you, this community you've got going and all these different things you're doing and projects and working and doing all these different things, it's all for mind training for purification of the thoughts. There's nothing done for any other reason other than watch your mind, watch your mind. you know. Pull your mind away from the distractions and just pay attention, no matter what the body seems to be doing. Watch those thoughts and don't buy the bait. Don't take anything personally. Don't take anything at all that crosses your mind personally. Because none of those private thoughts are real. Whether they're positive judgments, whether they're negative judgments, whether they're criticisms, whether they're compliments. That's right. Compliments are even private thoughts. I remember one time I, I went to a course group and they, they were trying to compliment my hair or something. They say, David, that's a nice uh, hair, hairstyle you're wearing. And I looked at them, I just smiled. I'm not buying the bait. No compliments of the body or criticisms of the body. Positive judgments or negative judgments of anything in form are private thoughts. Yeah, I think at this point in the episode, um, there's, it's clear that there's a lot of fear around mind reading, around discovering the thoughts. And um, both the, the Tips and the ones being read, they, they're both actually afraid of the thoughts. Even the one, the, the black girl who, who basically read the fantasy and she was hurt. It seems like they believe that thoughts can hurt. Either the one being read or the one reading the thoughts, they still hold on to this belief that thoughts can have power to hurt you. 
So what is really the purpose of all this exposing? You know, the ego really wants us to believe that exposing gonna magnify the hurt, magnify the guilt. Actually repressing is safer and repressing is gonna make you feel calmer and more safe. But really what happens is once we start to expose and share what has been repressed, we started to realize these thoughts have no power over us. And this episode hasn't touched that point yet. At this point, once the thoughts being read, they still feel, oh my God, I got hurt so bad because what I saw in other people's mind. And yet that, that episode is going to take us deeper through the relationship of these two. And it's also the same for us in our daily lives, in our community. You know, the reason that we have those relationships, the reason that we use each other to go deep, go down into our minds and to, to expose the thoughts, is not really just to dig to see how dark our mind is. We're going deep to see, okay, when we go down, and become more fearless and more free, we're gonna discover that those thoughts that we thought were so shameful and so dark have power, have no power over us. And that is gonna be down through relationships. The one that is holding the space for you is gonna receive the same benefit when you express. And the, at the end of this episode, we're gonna see that this is where they're heading. So you see too, like if you look at general, the swath of all the spiritualities, you know, I remember, um, I think it was one time many years ago, I think Deepak and Wayne Dyer got together and they said, we're going to practice doing what Sai Baba does, we're going to try to manifest some jewelry, those two guys working together. And then some of you have heard of the secret, I mean manifesting is big in the new age manifesting, using the power of your mind to manifest something in physical out of thought. And, and yet, if you follow my teachings and follow the Course deep enough, you'll start to realize that what Francis was just saying, that, that manifesting judged as something positive or manifesting something negative, those are the flip sides. That's why people are afraid of thoughts. They, they may think, I wish I could manifest a car, I wish I could manifest a house, a better job, a better partner, a better this and this and this. But, but the flip side is, is if you have the power to manifest the positive, then you must also have the power to manifest the negative. And that is frightening. You know, people, it's like, that's where duality is, the po manifest the positive and, and don't manifest the negative. But in the end, it's like Francis was saying, you have to go down into forgiveness deep enough to start to see that the, these thoughts, even about manifesting positive or negative things, are all part of a dualistic trick. That you don't even have that power and you won't know yourself as the perfect child of God until you go deep enough to find your divine innocence. To find what I was saying earlier, that I only can think with God. I can't really think apart from God. God doesn't think positive thoughts and negative thoughts. 
God isn't thinking, oh, I'm, I manifested the beautiful tree over there, and oh, the blue ocean, and I did a good job with, with the sky, and this and this and this, and then with the Loch Ness Monster or, you know, Nazi Germany, oops, oops, kind of skewed it there a little bit, you know, concentration camps, no, no. God doesn't know about the positive or the negative. God is just pure love. Oneness is pure love. There's not duality mixed in with that pure oneness, that pure abstract light. So that's what we were saying. That's why we have to use our relationships and the Course in Miracles mind training to go deep enough to realize that we didn't do anything right or wrong. We are a divine being and all this behavior projection that, that we were caught in with the ego was where all the guilt came in. Even the positive-negative was part of the, the trap, too. Okay. That's how it works in the detective's office. The one in charge says, I want some action, I want some research, let's find out about these hoods, let's find out about the materials and everything, and now the teep presents the contrast. Everything is in your mind. Everything, without question. You don't need people running around collecting data and analyzing things. It could take minutes or hours or weeks. It's all there in the mind and she's going to demonstrate that to us by tuning into her mind. This is quantum. Get ready for some quantum. She simply uses the power of her mind to scan the entire city for waxed linen. The answers are all within. You don't need a bunch of guys, detectives, running around trying to collect information. The answers are all within. It, these are the kind of examples we need to start to wake us up from this idea of being a tiny little human being with a little analytical mind or brain. We are not that. We have everything inside of us. That's a good scene. That's why Jesus spends so much time in the Course talking about true empathy. Because even though she's telepathic and she's picking up Mary's thoughts and distress, you see her kind of go into convulsions and start to, her knees start to buckle and she starts to go down. When I first started going through these telepathic experiences myself, it was just so strange. First I was feeling like my mind's this big antenna, and then it was like all these sounds and signals, like I was picking up all these different things. But then I remember going and doing a, uh, a Course of Miracles retreat at a hunting lodge in Kentucky, and when I arrived there, I was in such a telepathic state that I just thought, I just need to go and lie down and rest a bit before this um, weekend retreat I'm going to do. Because I just, I was at that point where I knew the Holy Spirit was going to come ripping through. And I went in to lay down though, and I was picking up, the people kept arriving for the retreat and they were in the next room, and I was picking up every single thought. I couldn't sleep. I was like that. I was tossing and turning in my bed, wanting to get a little rest, but my antenna was picking up all the thoughts of the retreat participants that were coming in, that were in the next room. And it was a very deep retreat, and, and people's fears came up, so I picked up all of their fear thoughts, and, and then some of the people wanted to escape the retreat, 
because we were going so deep. But it was a hunting lodge, and when they were giving, having thoughts of just fleeing and escaping, a big snow came, and we all got snowed into the hunting lodge. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit's like, you guys are going to all face this. What was my lesson? Oh boy, true empathy. Your only way you remain peaceful, even when you're picking up thoughts, is to remain with what's real and true. You have to give all those thoughts over to the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you start interpreting the thoughts. And see, that's what happened right there. You could see her, she picked up Mary's thoughts, Mary's in danger, and then she just started like going into convulsions. True empathy is what the Course would say, staying with what's real and true. That's where the forgiveness comes in, is always tuning into the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a great line in the Manual for Teachers where Jesus says, Patience is natural to those who trust. No outcome already seen or yet to come can cause them fear. Already seen or yet to come. The past and future can cause the teacher of God no fear as long as you stay in the holy instant. As long as you stay present, as long as you stay lined up with God, it doesn't matter what the thoughts are. And that's one of those phases you will have to go through the more you advance in your profession as a teacher of God, a miracle worker, healer, you'll start being more and more telepathic, which is just an ability that's your mind's becoming more natural, because all minds are joined, but you still have to practice the forgiveness and stay joined with the Holy Spirit so that you can see the thoughts without reacting to them. The Holy Spirit can see the illusion, but he knows it's not true. The Holy Spirit stays anchored in God and doesn't react to any magic thoughts, any private thoughts, and will simply give you the guidance of what's helpful what, will, what you can offer to heal and to bless. That's what you're going through with healing. Just really aligning with Spirit over and over and over, strengthening that connection so that no matter what the appearances are and no matter what the thoughts are, you don't buy the bait of interpreting those thoughts as if those thoughts are real. So this is a scene for both of them now. They both are coming back to uh, help Mary, and and you can, like Francis was saying, you can feel the fear that's underneath with the teeps and the fear for the, the civilians. So that, that was her putting it on, gave her a contrast experience, but, but that's, anytime you use anything in form to try to quiet the mind, it's, it's only going to be very limited, like some of you know from meditation practices, you know, you, you get your instructions, find a quiet place. Maybe put on a gentle stream of water, or put on some soft music, or sit comfortably, and you do all this, and then the neighbor brings out the lawnmower or the jackhammer, and you're like, ah! <laughs> you're in a rage. <laughs> but, you know, because you've artificially tried to use the environment to meditate, and that's really not what meditation is. Meditation is sinking below the thoughts, sinking, seeing they have no meaning, positive or negative, I was talking about, sinking deep within. But in this case, she just, out of curiosity, put it on, and it, it blocked the thoughts. Now that was the same one, that man with Mary, you know, first he's paying her some quid, you know, to 
to read his, pull out his dreams and his unconscious fantasies and all that stuff. Now he's getting a thrill out of wearing a hood and having her anger and frustration at not being able to read him, which is, she's identified with that as her profession. So she's not able to do her profession and he's getting some kind of sadistic pleasure out of, of her not being able to read him and, and her, him trying to pressure her. So these are all kinds of ways showing that, that the psychic ability can, can be misused, but you know, as we talked about earlier, you have to get down to the spirit's use of the ability. And, and we're coming to that. Believe it or not, we are, we're not trying to just torture you tonight. We are actually going, this is going somewhere. <laughs> it started, telling, and so this is, here they are in their partnership and with the rebellion and the riot and, and they're working together. And so she's, Mary's saying, tell him. So this is what we're talking about when we get down to the relationships. She could actually, you know, she can use the grapevine, but now she's afraid of her own self-concept of what a teep is, and she's hearing Mary in her mind saying the rebellion started, and she doesn't want to give her friends away, so she's got a friendship concept that uh, has to be let go of in order to truly go into the holy relationship and trust her partner, but she still hasn't made up her mind yet about whether she can trust this guy, so she's going with the old friends. So it's, you know, even the teeps who seem to be the ones in many of the other scenes that they were kind of uh, at the mercy of this guy, but now they kind of, they corner that car and it's like using the mind energy, almost like voodoo, except hands-on, laying hands-on voodoo, <laughs> instead of with little sticks and pins and dolls. And so, again, that's the misuse, that's using the power of the mind to attack or for revenge. You know, it's what's the motive, that's where you have to get clear. And this is much more subtle with them because they're working together, their collaborations are growing and getting a little bit lighter, the humor's coming in there and then she's aware of what seems to be going on but she's not sharing it with him and so this is where the temptation comes in a relationship. The ego wants to keep the relationship special by using the past and a past identity. Like Jason said, she's still identified as being a teep and she doesn't want to give away anything that could harm other teeps. Uh, and it, it could be the, the same thing in any kind of situation where whether you're starting to feel closer and more connected, then a doubt thought comes in and that's clearly what a private thought is. You know, if you're working together for the same purpose and you have trust and you have nothing to hide, then any thought can be shared because it's an opportunity to not take it personal. And that's what, that's the step towards holy relationship. What's cool about this is, because this was her opportunity too, there's, there's actually a private thought that he hasn't shared yet as well. But this is her private thought and because of this moment now, they're not actually working together and you're going to start to see they're slowly doing the separate thing until they come back together again near the end scene where either one of them gets a chance to really let go of these this belief that the other is holding a private thought because it's 
it's not theirs. This is the whole point of this movie. It's not theirs. And either one of them can do it. So this is a good example. Here they are. You go back to the apartment. You feel them getting lighter and lighter, closer and closer. She's looking at the, the photograph on the wall. And then they they're going, drifting into the holy instant, that still point where, where everything is connected. And then she makes a joke about, well, you slept with the teeth, now you're stuffed. And he says, we could elope. And then they talk about escaping, going off. And she says, yeah, to your river. Because she was there reading his dreams. Even though she's took an oath not to read an agent, you know, she's there, she's a little embarrassed reading the dreams with the fish and everything. You feel the connection. You know, that's where we're all drawn into that stillness, where we feel the connection, that we're all the same one. And it's a very still point. And yet, the ego will come in with this thing about finding the maker and like solving the puzzle, almost like detectives, as if there's some riddle to solve, as if there's something in this world that's more important than that connection, than that, you know, they're ready to, he said, we could elope, they're just ready to get married and run off to some quiet place in nature, because that's the feeling in there. The feeling is, oh, this is so wonderful. This love is so strong, this connection so strong, we can let the past go, we can let the roles go, and it's only when the temptation comes to, to get back to business, get back to the role, you know. Um, she comes in and tells him, maybe this place was a book depository 13 years ago, we know the guy dropped out 13 years ago. She's still using her telepathic powers like in the Sherlock Holmes way to solve the case, and then he, he comes in with a little bit of role, it's, it's not safe. Now he's starting to feel he wants to protect her. He wants to protect her, and, and he wants to go do it on his own. She's, she's still getting flashes, and she wants to be a part of the whole thing. But you can see, as long as you have a goal for something in this world, as long as you're pursuing an outcome, as long as you're pursuing anything. Even these projects that we use as collaborations that we all work on together, as soon as it becomes a, a real project on the timeline with an end, then that's where the ego is like, gotcha, hooked you again, gotcha. Because it always is wanting to make something in the world important. As if you have to do something important or achieve something or accumulate something or, or be recognized for something in the world or whatever. Those are all temptations to go out. And what does Jesus tell us in the Course? Mind reaches to itself. It does not go out. Within itself is everything. You within it and it within you. It's a fantastic sentence because he's saying, you're it. You are the Spirit and anytime you're tempted to change this world, fix this world, find a, a, a cause in this world, find a solution in the world or whatever, become an activist, become something, change the world, make it a better place by your actions. Temptation, temptation, temptation. Those are all temptations to come out of the holy instant. 
And you could see when they were sinking into it, they just, how soft it was. It was like drawing them in. The faces were getting softer. They just came, they kissed. It was so soft because it was inevitable. You don't have to read that. There was nothing to read in that. It didn't need to be read. I like how she even said, like, what would be the point of dating? There's no mystery in it, you know? Like, only the ego needs to date and find out, and otherwise you just kind of like fish, you know? No dating required, just instant matchmaking. And like that relationship movie, or relationship session we did recently, if you sink into that and you're certain about that, that's it. You don't need to play it out in time. You don't need to look for something in time. You can sink inward into that experience and then it's the most simple experience it could ever be. But here they are, going off now to, <laughs> to solve the riddle. There, it's giving, the ego is giving itself away. Sanctity of these private thoughts are minds. He's saying that that's the human condition with these private minds and private thoughts is, is sacred, is worth protection, is worth coming up with these masks for. And basically he sees himself as like a kind of a hero, that he, he wasn't too big into computers and encryption and all the ways that the human beings try to protect their, their data with this latest Facebook leak of data. He's not interested in any of that, but he's interested in the sanctity of the human private mind and private thoughts. And he sees himself as a hero protecting that. And also admiring uh, this guy for some reason, which we're going to hear coming up here. But uh, watch carefully, pay attention for all the private thoughts. Remember, only the thoughts of God are true. And our purpose is to overlook the, the thoughts. So that's the ego's interpretation. It's just the holy instant. <laughs> How he loved his father so much and he said he loved everyone so much. He loved being around the teeps and everything. But, but so there's, there's the private thought. He can pluck you. That's the private thought. Minds are joined, there's only one of us, but the idea of blocking another mind is another private thought among all the other ones that they've had to face. Remember at one point he said, I give you permission, read me. And she was, even when he was dreaming, she was reading the same thing, the stillness, the silence and everything, and yet here's this hood maker flinging out with a laugh, ha 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 ha, he's a weapon, he can block you. You see, it's always going to try to throw any kind of doubt thought, any kind of temptation to try to pull you away from the one fact that all minds are joined, that there's only one of us, and there is no harm that could be done from one mind to another mind, blocking or anything else, because there's only one mind. 
it's the belief in multiple minds or private minds and private thoughts. That's the whole, that's the doubt thought. That's the trick. That's the one thought we have to overlook. That's the belief in separation, that mind can be apart from God, that, that minds can be separate and have their, make up their own world and have their own individuality, their own autonomy. That's the one private thought, the original error. And we have to be able to practice overlooking that. So, you can see by his face, he was concerned about that private thought. <laughs> and you can see from her face, she is concerned <laughs> about that private thought. So, no amount of telepathy will help you unless you come to that true empathy of just seeing it as a laughable thought. You can laugh at the guy who's laughing. <laughs> because there's nothing really serious there, if you can see it as impossible. The line that's coming to me is, the, the world will end in laughter. You know, every time people talk about the end of the world, it's as if the world will be destroyed, and Armageddon, and you know, all this destruction, destruction, the, that's the ego's version of end, and, and attack and defense, and even with the, the hood maker, you know, it was, if there is still a motive of revenge, like you harmed us, or you hurt us, or you tried to block us, and now you must pay, the world doesn't end in destruction. You don't transcend the ego by killing the ego. That's what the ego, that's how the ego is maintained through the destructive urge of kill and be killed. Uh, I remember Gandhi one time was discussing that eye for an eye philosophy. He said, an eye for an eye, making the whole world blind. He, Gandhi so recognized that it was through nonviolence, it's through peace that you transcend the ego, not through destruction. And much of his life he was just practicing and experimenting with his nonviolent philosophy. He was even asked by that uh, Candace Bergen character, the in the movie about, uh, what about Hitler? You know, could you use your nonviolence philosophy on Hitler? And he said, yeah, there, there could be many losses, but yes, in the end he believed in nonviolence. He believed that that was the way. And, and so here it is, it's coming to a point at the end of this movie with society and, and groups and humans and so on and so forth. The Course teaches us the truth does not fight against illusions, nor do illusions fight against the truth. Illusions battle only with themselves. That's why we have to have that true empathy. We have to see an illusion for an illusion. Otherwise, there's an identity <laughs> in form, you will protect it and defend it. Thus, the teeps and the normals, you know, it's, that's, that's the temptation. I really like this because when we when I first saw this the first time I I thought he was blocking too and it was like but this time it's they're both sharing a private thought that, that anything but that piece was really I really like this, this it makes the whole movie even better now. <laughs> second time through <laughs> so forgive me is overlook anything that is not of God. That's what forgiveness means. That's what we're doing. 
God doesn't forgive because God is never condemned. So we don't have to worry about God in the equation. It's for ourselves practicing forgive is overlook the error, overlook the illusion, overlook the doubt thought, overlook the private thought, and see the Christ. Remember who I really am. That's how we remember who we really are, is in our brother and our sister, overlooking the private thoughts, holding the presence of love in the face of whatever is shared. Anybody could share anything, just overlook it. And he's like, she's saying, let me through. And he says, forgive me. He's basically saying, trust, let's trust together. Overlook whatever you see, whatever you find. Yeah, they didn't have the, the ending. Basically, the, the, the episode actually ended like a mystery. There is no opening of the door. There is no, we added that. Because I think, yeah, there is some kind of like mind reading and all of that and how where it's going to lead when you see the darkest secret can we really rise above it probably that is still seen as a mystery but really it's not a mystery to us and i think for for him he has he is considered as a weapon but really he's more like a pioneer in that society. His father, he said his father was like an open book and he's the happiest guy and even anybody who is who's around him was happy. Even he himself said that was the happiest time of my life because you somehow is around someone who is just willing to freely give and freely receive. We always hear that teaching from the Course, freely give and freely receive, but really the teaching is around the thought, it's around at the level of the mind. Are we ready to freely give and freely receive at the level of thoughts? And his father could. And that's why he was happy, there was no guilt. Because the mind that is not afraid to expose and fully allow everything to be exposed to the light is free of guilt. And that's why he's happy and anyone who is around him was happy and it's very symbolic. And he, because of that, he's, you know, he, the, the hood maker actually said he was gifted, but really not because of anything, because he was his father's son. He has that gift, and we all do. We all do, we can choose that freedom if we dare to allow that to happen to us. So when he, you know, have that gift and and um, go for it, the present peace becomes his reality. He actually, he fell in love with her and that became his reality. So to say, okay, let me through, let me read your thoughts, let me read your past, was actually effort for him because the past wasn't really in his present anymore. It wasn't really real, it wasn't reality to him anymore. So he has to, okay, you know, I will allow you, if that is helpful, if that is what you want, go in. But forgive me of what I'm not anymore. Forgive the past that is not meaningful anymore. And I think that is really applicable to all of us because 
when we sometimes get into this deep relationship and heart opening experience, our, we know that the present love is real. And anything that happened in the past, all these attack thoughts, they're all the past. They're not really present in this holy instant. And yet they still come up to haunt us. I did this in the past. If you only knew what I did, if you only knew my past, if you knew what I thought of you before, if you knew my past relationship, it's all the past. And this episode really brought it back to, okay, it doesn't really matter the past. And we can rise above it together with the trust through exposing still. You know, we, ha we still have to trust enough to expose those things that's not real but still seem to be blocking. One of us think is blocking. So let's expose it and see that by doing that, we actually can choose to rise above it. So. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit that that saying that Jesus was, said it was in the Bible, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's like really saying, overlook the bodies, overlook the emotions, and and overlook everything and come into the truth, which is really what he was demonstrating there. Even on the cross, it was a demonstration. And to me, that's, as I really looked at and worked with the Course, I thought, what is really the, the forgiveness? And it's just this. It's just coming to see, not about blocking judgments, not about blocking hatred or guilt, not even about blocking attack thoughts. Um, kind of like in the Matrix where Neo says to Morpheus, you're telling me that one day I'll be able to dodge bullets. He says to Morpheus, and Morpheus says, no, you won't even have to. You won't have to dodge them. In other words, there's no reality to the bullets. And there's no reality to attack thoughts. There's no reality to judgments. It's not something you have to figure out how to stop. It's not something you have to find a solution for. It's that you have to just see for once and for all that, that it has no reality. And even in one of his workbook lessons, he even tells you how to do it. He said, when you can see that Attacking and being attacked are the same. You will be willing to let them go. You see the ego always sees a victim being attacked and a victimizer. But as soon as you can see that they're both the same, that the victim and the victimizer are actually one thought, and that one thought is the belief in attack then you will be willing to let the attack thought go. Sometimes the ego tries to get you to play, oh poor me, I'm at the mercy, I was done wrong, I was the victim, and sometimes it says, remember what you did, they're never gonna let, they're never gonna let you forget that, you actually said those things, you actually did those things. It's all part of a trick to make attack seem different, when actually it's just one thought, it's just a belief in separation from God. 
So the key to transcending sickness, the key to transcending death, the key to transcending the ego is, is to see the impossibility of it. Well, if it's, there's only one mind, there's only one of us, one cannot attack. It takes two for there to be an attack. One cannot attack. One, spirit, that recognition, that, that shows the impossibility of attack. That's what this whole journey is about, just to come to that one recognition, the impossibility of attack. That's what the whole thing is about. And that's what the, the opportunity was there at the end. There's this attack thought called block. <laughs> And underneath that, there's this voice that says, no, trust, trust. If we can't trust, what hope is there? And what's her name? Honor, honor. He's <laughs> saying we have to trust, and, and her name is Honor. You know, that is very symbolic there at the end. We have to go beyond that. I gotta tell you too how we got the last words, I trust you, because we got the door sound, but a bird got trapped in our house. And I said to Jeffrey, because we were going to go see this movie, I can only go see this movie. What was that one we saw? Wrinkle in Time. If this movie can be edited in the next 10 minutes, that's like almost impossible. The bird got trapped. We thought, Susanna's voice. So we walked out while she was under the couch with the bird, trying to fly it. We said, can you record I trust you and speak to the bird? She just said, I trust you. And we slipped it in, she grabbed the bird, put it outside, and we did that for the move, so it was really funny. I love it, behind the scenes. And that's the rest of the story. You were there for the making. <laughs> uh, thank you, bird. And <laughs> <That's> Susanna. <laughs> So that's why we practice, that's what forgiveness is about. That's why relationships are so helpful, because they present the opportunities to look past the form, look past the body. At one point, I love it, Jesus says, look past the body and look past the mind of your brother. <laughs> Overlook the body and the mind, and the private mind, and the belief that there's a mind that's apart from your mind, apart from the one mind, apart from the one mind that we share with God. Overlook that too, because so often we practice with the body, you know. I am not a body, I am free. I will overlook the body, I will not hold this grievance against you, I will not see you as a body, you know, this and this, but overlook the Overlook the body and the mind of your brother, he's saying. Yeah, I like that. Any questions? Marie has a mic.
picking up a question telepathically. <laughs> what happened to the bird? <laughs> There's a story to that. It showed up again. It's back. <laughs> This morning, um, Jeffrey and I were sharing our prayers for the day, and, and this bird, like exactly the same as yesterday, I think it might have been the same bird, he showed up on our balcony, and he was just looking at me for like a few seconds, and then he flew away. <laughs> he made a return. <laughs> return appearance. <Yeah>. A cameo <laughs> during the morning prayers. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, I just want to thank you, David, because your <clears throat> words intermittently through the movie are just so powerful for me. And I guess for me, I got that when I was younger where I started to doubt and trust and <clears throat> withhold my truth. Um, because that was survival for me. Um, the specifics don't matter, but as you elaborate so eloquently, intermittently through the movie, I got where I created that separation, where I didn't feel safe to share and withhold. And my journey <clears throat> has been to be aware of any time I do withhold truth. Um, and it's just the phrase, that which we resist persists. So as you so wisely said, when we stuff it down and when we, you know, pretend, create the illusion that all is well, we know when we're withholding and there's no freedom in that. So I, I mean, this is powerful and your words are, I don't know where you get it from, but I'm grateful wherever that source is or the source. Um, as, as I, I just want to acknowledge you for the for the value you create for me, um, as do each of you. But um, the first time I met you, I'm looking to criticize and judge and find fault, and I'm pretty good at doing that. <clears throat> and then someone said, "So Howard, uh, how's that working for you?" So just accepting the love of everyone here is a challenge for me, but you create a beautiful space uh, to be in. So I didn't have a question, but I just want to share that with you. Thank you, Thank you Howard. Yeah, isn't it amazing that, that just that transparency, it's so, so powerful. And the idea too that, that the Holy Spirit is, uses all relationships. So we don't even have to figure anything out. We don't have to figure out the how. We don't have to figure out how it's going to look, how it's going to go. Because we just focus on that idea that I can be transparent. I, I don't need to hide anything. I'm safe. I'm safe. You know, the more we practice that and feel that, then it's just we can just be totally transparent. It was beautiful too. The first time you came into this room, I remember you'd come down and you're talking about up in front, 
found a seat in the front and talked about the taxis and, and it was like a ride. It was quite a ride and adventure just to arrive. But then you were, you just candidly poured out the whole story, like, I'm here, I'm glad I'm here, <laughs> and I, I made it. And that's the most important thing for all of us, is just to, to hang in there with it and be so transparent. It undoes this belief that, that there's somebody outside of us, that somebody's out to get us, that somebody could misuse our, our words, our thoughts, and, and start to feel that safety of, no, it's all being orchestrated for the greater good my good and for the greater good. So it's, it's a great feeling to have. That's what we're really all about, is just having this transparency. Everybody just let it all hang out, just lay all your cards on the table, and let any emotions come that need to come. It goes against the ego protectionism and the defense mechanisms, all the defense mechanisms that are made to protect a private self and a private mind, and then here we go, take a deep breath and we're practicing the transparency and it's working. You can feel it, you can feel the, the confidence growing little by little. Thank you, Howard. Um, you were just talking about like that feeling that someone's out to get you and like I realize trying to formulate this correctly, like the importance of getting over that. So recently my experience has been like the opposite, like everyone's out to love me um, and support me. So what's, what's with that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really good. <laughs> if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I mean, if you, it's almost like you can count on that feeling of love to just carry you because it's like it's undoing a very ancient pattern. You know, there was an ancient unworthiness or an ancient fear that's just getting washed away by the love. And it's so beautiful just to, to have that be the prayer of your heart. Like, um, I remember Bill Thetford, you know, was working closely with Helen Shuckman, and um, Helen was the one that was tuning into all these thoughts and words from Jesus. But um, but at one point, Jesus said to Helen, "Here, I've got a prayer. Give this prayer to Bill, because Bill um, Bill liked words, but he also liked simplicity." So Jesus gave a specific prayer for Helen to give to Bill to help his mind become still. And it was just four words. Here I am, Lord. Very straight, very simple. Here I am, Lord. So that he could just align with that love and, and not get caught in the complexities of, of the world and advice and all kinds of different multiple solutions, just here I am Lord. So it's beautiful I, that you feel that and, and to stay with that, just stay with the simplicity of that. Just to be able to really give yourself over to trust that and, and 
have a feeling along with that, like, oh, I'm just going to trust that I'm going to be carried. I'm going to see everybody as, as an angel, just carrying me home, just walking with me side by side, hand in hand, into the light. And it washes away that unworthiness feeling, that, and also that feeling that somehow that personally we have to figure out something. We don't. We don't even have to figure it out. We just have to feel that love and, and trust in that. It's so beautiful. Well, this morning we were just talking about a potential um, friend from a visit, from a, a potential visit of um, some friends from China to our monastery in Utah. And um, we were just talking about that particular friend who actually brought A Crossing Miracle into China, I think in 2003. And he, he was translating and publishing and really just was very helpful in bring the whole whole course and the book into into mainland China and he basically said to David he said you know the the beginning of the course nothing real can be threatened nothing unreal exists here herein lies the peace of god he said that is the summary of the whole book the teaching of the whole book and your no private thoughts and no people pleasing is the practical application of that teaching. And we were just saying, wow, we never thought of that like it. But in experience, it's actually true. You know, such an abstract teaching of nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. How do you how do you grasp it and apply it in a daily experience? And this is truly, in our experience, the first step toward that understanding and reality. So that's, that's part of the reason we really emphasize that no private thoughts practice and really love the teaching of this, even this episode. Yes, I love how how something is presented in the course, and then it just as you're just your mouth is open and you're stunned and you're opening to oh how 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 like I remember I was actually going through the course and and he was talking one of the chapters where he was saying would you know the holy instant, and, and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And, and then he said, then you must want perfect communication with everyone and everything. And it's like he, he just drops, the holy instant is like the answer to everything. That's the, the present moment, the gateway to eternity. And then as you just go, how, how? And he comes in with so practical, would you want perfect communication with everyone and everything, then, then hold no private thoughts. So he, I remember it was so direct that I, that I just took that and I was like, wow, that's important. He's just delivered the how. And that's part of how this no private thoughts, no people pleasing came, because I was so 
taken up in this idea of the holy instant and so much in the show me, show me Lord, show me how. And yeah, it was very important. And so it's only no private thoughts and no people pleasing is only a risk to the ego. The ego likes to please, please, please. You know, like Howard was saying, there came a point in life where, you know, we feel almost like we feel like we have to play the game of the world. You know, I'll please you, you please me, we'll balance it out here. I'll just do what you want to do, but you you treat me right and you know, it's like some kind of a bargain or compromise that we don't even know we're doing, but but this no private thoughts is like saying, No, there is nothing that I would hide from you. That's what I really loved about this movie, you know, they got to that point was where he was like, she, at the end, she's saying, let me read you, and then earlier in the movie he'd say, read me, I give you permission, you know, there, it was there, we could feel it underneath, the love was there, it was so strong, and, and that is like the opportunity to really have an experience that there's nothing that can be kept private and hidden. That's the, that's the release, that they, there's nothing real that can be kept private and hidden, that only the thoughts of God can be shared. That's the relief, that's the hallelujah, that's, the, oh my God, of course! If God is love and, and only the thoughts of God can be shared, then only love can be shared. That's got to be the, the way that it works. That's, that doesn't leave any room for ego. It doesn't leave any room for secrets and private thoughts. And think of that word. I remember when I was growing up in Christianity, I kind of liked that word, revelation. Reveal. Revelation. And then the Course says, oh yeah, God wants to be fully known. God wants to be fully revealed. Love wants to be fully revealed. Well, if, if we're going to know love, then we have to be love. We have to be fully revealing, not hiding anything. Love doesn't have anything to protect. Love has nothing to defend. Oh, so we're opening, opening, opening from thinking of ourselves as physical beings, from thinking of ourselves as earthbound being, of thinking ourselves as personalities within a world, into what? What are you? What am I? asking for in this revelation, Jesus says it so clear, you are an idea in the mind of God. You have great difficulty of thinking yourself as an idea. You are a perfect idea. Because a lot of times, whenever people think of just the word God flashes or whatever, we sometimes think of the Sistine Chapel or the Michelangelo, you know, the the painting, the, the fingers touching, you know, and all, even the painters depict God as, as a man, as a form. <laughs> it's like all those body thoughts, even fingers. Let go of the fingers, overlook the fingers. Overlook the finger of your brother and the mind of your brother. Overlook it all. That's the abstraction, yeah.
so <clears throat> with that, uh, let me just bring up a hypothetical that we could either grapple with or I could maybe see and <clears throat> get clarity. So we've all um, heard about stories where one of the partners was <clears throat> betrayed, uh, there was a cheating, and the one who had an indiscretion, I like that word, <clears throat> is now grappling, on one hand wants to reveal that he made a mistake or she made a mistake, and then the ego says, well, if you share that, the whole loving relationship that you're in now could dissolve. Um, so I'm not sure what I'm about to ask or what I'm asking, but how do we, um, you know, do we share the indiscretion? The ego says you better not because if you do, the relationship can and will be over. So I'm just trying to introduce a real life example of um, to help me gain clarity on uh, to help me gain clarity. Yeah. So I don't know if I what I shared was clear, but it, it's just something that I hear people share with me. And what should I do? They'll say, you yeah. know, I made a mistake. Do I share? Do I? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that. If you, if we kind of start to take a topic like we'll call it infidelity, and then we start to look at the question, what is the infidelity, and and or the indiscretion that what is, we can still see that it's some kind of an action. There's an action or a behavior that is a breaking of a shared agreement, almost like. The fidelity is like we made a shared agreement, and it, it, we could call it monogamy. And then infidelity is a, is a breaking of a shared agreement in form. We agree that we'll do this, but we won't do that. And then if we do that, that's an infidelity. So for me, I, I remember praying on a lot of this stuff, because I remember before we had the New Testament, the Gospels, you know, there was the Old Testament, there was the Ten Commandments. And I went through the Ten Commandments and I was looking, I said, oh, there's definitely some behavioral things in here. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. was right in there. You know, that was one of the, the Ten Commandments. So if you define, we'll say, monogamy as, as a, a law given by God, you know, Thou shalt be monogamous. And then you have one of the, that's a version of, of the positive version of thou shalt not commit adultery. You can flip it either way. Thou shalt be monogamous or thou shalt not commit adultery. See how it both works together. But it's very behavioral. There's some kind of behavior. It reminds me of the Genesis in the Bible where it's like God tells Adam and Eve, you can have whatever you want here. It's paradise, but there's this tree, <laughs> and don't eat this fruit from this tree, you know. Which always struck me as kind of funny. Like if it's paradise, and then there's this one rule involves a tree and some fruit. Well, what do you do with children if you have a child and you say, "I'm going out. I've got to mow the yard." 
and there's a candy bar. There's a Baby Ruth candy bar in the refrigerator. Don't eat the Baby Ruth. What is the kid gonna do? As soon as you're out there, you get the lawnmower going. That's what happens with our cat. We, we take the cat, ISO, you're not to be on the table. You take the cat off the table, and then as soon as the humans leave, it's like, well, they're gone now. There's nobody stopping me now. He's up into his cat hair on the table, like, because, but would God really have done that? Would God really, God, oh, the creator of, of pure love and oneness, would God have had a problem with this tree and put a do not <laughs> in there? Somehow I don't think God of God and do nots. And then Jesus tells us in the Course that God would have never put you in such a situation. Well, hallelujah, that's the first thing that makes sense to me. God would never have put you in that situation. You. God didn't leave you, you didn't break God's law, it's like you, you believed you could usurp the power of God or leave paradise. You believed it, but there's no beliefs in heaven, that's just a belief. So what I had to do is, I went back to the Ten Commandments and I'm saying, oh yeah, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, a lot of that. I, think. Um, I remember I was reading another one and it said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And I, oh, I like that word, covet. Because to me, covet wasn't a physical thing. It was a thought thing, a, a thought or a desire. You see, shalt not steal, shalt not commit adultery. Those are like, like, you know, things that you can really see in perception. Did you or did you not, like a court of law, did you or did you not do this, but covet so I thought, ah, oh, there we go. It's this covet is like a wish or a desire. And then Jesus kept teaching, you know, blessed are the pure of heart. I thought, oh, there it must be. Once you get over the coveting, the wishing and the wanting for things to be different than they are, or wishing for expecting things and hoping things to be a certain way in form. You know, I remember the 23rd Psalm from the Old Testament too. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Wow, I shall not covet. That's it right there. So it's a, it's a purification. And when you started off your question by saying, here's a hypothetical. I remember back when I was first doing my first trips around the United States, and it was, this, I think it was the second year I was out on the road, I was down in Florida, and I was going to, um, these different places, and I went to this um, Unity Church in, I think it was Tallahassee, and they invited me to come to the course group at the church, and then they invited me to dinner. And I was going to do a gathering that night, and, and a big long table where all of us were sitting there having a, having a lunch, and somebody at the table uh, I, I remember there was this guy there who was sitting across from me, and his name was Fred. So I was eating and laughing, and I said, and he had a lot of questions and everything. I said, Fred, why don't you come to my gathering tonight? I invited Fred to come. And the whole table groaned at once. Everybody, this big long table went, oh. <laughs> and I was just like, 
what's going on? And I said, does anybody have a problem with Fred coming to my gathering? Because I don't do like men's retreats, women's retreats. I just do enlighten. I just always invite everybody. Bring your children, bring your babies, whatever. Well, everybody groaned when I invited Fred. So I said, what's the deal with Fred? And they're all like, eh. So what's going on? And he said, well, Fred is a philosophy professor. He teaches at the local university. And Fred is deep. I said, great. That should be all the better. We've got a philosopher, a philosophy teacher coming to the gathering. I said, that's going to be amazing. And they said, well, you don't know Fred. Fred comes to our course groups. And Fred starts going and asking all these questions deep, kind of ontological questions. And we're trying to read the course, but we don't know how to answer Fred. None of us. Fred ruins the course group. We're trying to do a course study group, and Fred shows up and messes it up every single time. And, and so I said, so this is it. So you don't want Fred to come tonight to my gathering, because you think Fred is going to mess my gathering up. They said, now you're getting it. I said, oh, no, no. I said, Fred, don't listen to him, the whole table. I said, don't listen to this table. If you want to come, you come and you ask all your questions and we'll just see what the Holy Spirit has to say. I said, this is going to be great, I told everybody. No, no, come, come, Fred needs to come. So anyway, I go to the gathering that night, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. I go in there and everybody's there. They're all packed in there and there's Fred. Fred came. So I start to talk and I share and everything. And Fred is silent. Fred doesn't want to rock the boat. I think Fred doesn't want to mess my gathering up, he believes, or, or he doesn't want to upset the entire room, except for me, so he's just, he zips it. Fred, the philosopher, just completely zips it. And he's not asking, he's not saying peep. And finally we take a break, a bathroom break in the middle, and they have refreshments and snacks and food. And so as soon as they took a break, I looked around and saw Fred, and I went up to him and I said, Fred, Fred, this is your chance. Come on, for, do it for philosophy. Do it for, for your curiosity. Do it for everybody here. Fred, come on. And so Fred said, I've got some pretty deep questions. I said, come on, bring them on. And when we get back from the break, Fire those questions. Let fire. You've got to do this. So I got him all fired up. So then we got back. This was back in, I still remember this just like it was yesterday. Back in 1992, I'm down there with Fred. And then Fred comes back and, and I, I say, okay, before we start, let's give Fred a chance here to ask a question. So Fred, because I was traveling down there and I had a, a, a travel partner named Beverly and and she was traveling with me, so Fred looks at me, and she, he looks at Beverly, and he says, well, here's my question. It's a hypothetical question. He said, so you're talking about love, and follow the Holy Spirit, and you're perfectly protected, and you have no fear, and you miracles, and you can live a life of trust, and all these things. He said, here's my hypothetical question. If you're walking down the street, and 
your friend Beverly is walking down the street beside you and some guy comes running up and grabs Beverly around the neck and holds a knife up to Beverly's neck. Just how defenseless and how meek are you going to be in that hypothetical situation? This is probably the kind of stuff that Fred brought up at the, at the course group. <laughs> As they're reading, in my defense, this is my safety lies. Fred's like, well, let's just test that one out and see how defenseless you really are. Hypothetically. So I said, Fred, that is a beautiful question. I'm so glad that you asked that. And I said, because I have so much wanted to talk about hypotheticals. <laughs> and, and then I launched into a 20-minute discussion of hypotheticals. Hypothetically speaking, hypothetical, a hypothetical is what if, or as if, and I said, I said, well, you know, the whole course is written as an answer to a hypothetical. In the clarification of terms, Jesus says, the mind is described as if it has two parts. And he, he italicizes those two words in the clarification of terms. The mind is described as if it has two parts. And this whole book is written as if the separation occurred. And then I got into cause and effect. You know, the Father and I are one, and Christ and God are, share the same spirit and, and live in the same mind, and so on and so forth. The whole belief in linear time is the belief in hypotheticals, is the belief in coulda, woulda, shouldas, is the belief in hypothetically speaking scenarios on the timeline, like an, like an indiscretion like an infidelity, like a knife up to Beverly's neck with an arm around her neck. The whole idea of hypotheticals is, is the whole trick of the ego, because the ego believes that cause and effect are separate. Jesus teaches cause, God, and effect, Christ, are one, and that there is no such thing as linear time. That there's only now. And in the holy instant, there are no hypotheticals. So the Course is really calling us into an experience. It's like Jesus is saying, I, I can't give you an equation that will end your doubting. I can't even give you a theology that will end your doubting. I can't even give you a, a, a linear story that will end your doubting. I can't give you a concept that will end your doubting, but an experience will come that will end your doubting. In other words, an experience will come that will bring an end to hypotheticals. Because the whole linear world of time and space is, is a hypothetical. E even Einstein uh, and, and a lot of great quantum physicists and scientists have, have now as they get into quantum, they start to realize that, that it seems like everything is simultaneous and this idea of past, present, and future doesn't hold. It seems like time moves in one direction, but they say, no, it could move in another direction just as well. 
they're coming closer and closer to start to realize that there's an experience of the quantum field which ends all questions. In the quantum field there are no hypotheticals because everything is absolutely connected. There aren't any ifs or as ifs or if then that, you know, like logic, if this then that and all these things. So to me that's what practicing the Course has done is practice, 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 and then, ah, aha, that's, that's the aha, is that there aren't hypotheticals. There is no such thing as a hypothetical anything, because that takes you back into the timeline. And that's where all the seeming hypotheticals are, are in the past or the future. A situation, okay, you're describing a relationship in which there was a shared agreement around monogamy, and then there's, you're describing a situation where there was a break of that, and then you're saying, what does the partner who did the breaking, does he reveal to the partner who didn't do the breaking? Of course, a lot of times nowadays, they reveal the breaking, and then there's another revealing of the breaking, <laughs> and there's all kinds of things going on, but they're all hypotheticals, and they're all examples that are on the timeline, and many amazing avatars and non-dual teachers have, have said that, that there comes an experience where you have to drop the story. And I would say that all stories are, have those hypotheticals. And some of you have, of course, heard me talk about my grandfather with his finger to me. He would always, when I'm watching a sporting event when I was little, he would always harry Heinrich Hermann Hofmeister would always raise one finger and as I was squeaming and angry or whatever, he would just have twinkly eyes, he'd be smiling from ear to ear and he would raise a finger over to me and he would go, if, largest word in the English language, and he would always stop me in my tracks, if my team had not had the referee miss that call, my team would be ahead, or my team would, you know, I always would have be rooting for some side and t blaming the refs, blaming the, the certain players, blaming somebody. And then I had Harry's finger up with his smile going, if, if was the hypotheticals. Like he was laughing at me and all my angry hypotheticals spinning round and round. It could have been different. My team would have scored if the ref had not blown the call. You know, I was into sports and so he laughed and laughed. He would sit there, watch the game with me and just laugh and laugh and laugh. The angry I would get, he'd throw the finger up, you know, because it was a hypothetical. It was just, he was pointing that. Harry was his nickname, but Heinrich Hermann Hofmeister. <laughs> That was my teaching that hypotheticals are a joke. If, yeah. So thank you, Fred. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> Drive it home there. Howard, Fred, and Harry. What? And hypothetical. and hypothetical, that's another H. That's the three H's. <laughs> <laughs>
Howard, Harry, and hypothetical. <laughs> Instead of a 4-H club, this is a 3-H club. The end of hypotheticals. settled <laughs> into grace. Yeah. It's grace. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for sharing this precious experience. Mm.